Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss the August 1967 issue of X-Men, number 35, titled, Along Came a Spider. Dun, dun, Uh, yeah, man. Uh, and along came uh, Spider-Man might be more appropriate because on the cover I see a man in Spider-Man tights leaping towards the X-Men. I bet it's not really Spider-Man. No. Because we don't see his face. Maybe it's like the tarantula. <laughs> I'm thinking it's more of a shapeshifter type evil mutant. Uh, or... Mm. Perhaps this is actually Factor 3, and Factor 3 is a person who can take on the likeness of other people that exist in the universe. Yeah, Factor 3 is a shapeshifter. Because it would make no sense for the X-Men to fight Spider-Man. No way. They're buddies. We've even seen them in a previous issue talk to each other, and they tried to recruit Spider-Man. They're they're all misunderstood, super-powered misfits. Spider-Man should really join up. I know. He should be the sixth X-Men. Spider-Man and the X-Men. So Cyclops is reeling backwards in a very awkward pose. It looks like he's he's about to limbo or something. Marvel Girl standing aside, uh, looking in awe. And uh, actually, it looks more like Spider-Man or whoever this person is, is leaping towards uh, right towards the beast. And the other two X-Men look on. There's a big hole in the wall or, or whatever it is. It's like a bridge of some sort. Yeah, I can only assume that they're at some European castle because that's where Factor 3 is. Must be. Does your version have any definition in Spider-Man's butt? <laughs> um, how do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm seeing here is a butt without any definition Except for maybe like in the lower right cheek. There's definitely, uh, yeah, some shading going on in the lower right cheek. Uh, but I mean, there's not like a butt crack or anything drawn in there. I can tell you that there is some color shading. Like there's definitely two or three different shades of blue that is comprising his backside. And I suppose if you used your imagination really, really uh, well, you could maybe claim to see Spider-Man's butt. This is not for the ladies. I'm thinking about the ladies. I I don't know, man. I think you're right. I think they would have sold a lot more issues if they'd have put a little bit more definition in Spider-Man's ass. Some more spider butt. (laughs) Uh, All right. So as we jump into the issue, uh, who is this guy and what is he doing in my X-Man comic book? They kind of allude to that as though we wouldn't exactly know who Banshee was. Yes. So it it is the Banshee, and he's 
howling away in what looks like the Swiss Alps or something. What's interesting about this is didn't wasn't that headband that he was wearing wasn't that uh previously known to be controlling him by factor 3? I thought that his previous headband was a little different. This one has like three designs on the forehead. I thought the one that factor 3 was using to control him had one. Oh, okay. So maybe it's a different headband. Like he really likes headbands. <laughs> That's how they got him to wear the mind controlling one in the first place. He's like, ooh, look at this headband with the single bead in it. I'm going to wear this one today. <laughs> oh, no, I'm under their control. I want cigarettes and paintings. We should uh, mention before we forget that this is uh, Stan Lee presenting a Roy Thomas, Werner Roth, towering triumph of titanic talent and Tumultuous Toil, inked by Dan Adkins. Wasn't he the uh, Wasn't he the artist last issue? Sounds familiar. I don't remember. And lettered by Jerry Feldman. I just feel like they're mixing up my Marvel uh, creative team here, and I'm just I feel outside of my uh, safe zone here. So, anyways, uh, he is in Central Europe. Uh, looking for the sinister group known as Factor 3, and he feels it in his bones or something that he's near the secret sanctuary. I guess he's searched all the rest of Central Europe, and he's finally like gone to the last corner of Central Europe, and he's, they must be here. They must. He started on the eastern side of Europe and has been slowly making concentric circles inward. <laughs> just exactly. circling all of Europe. I mean, he's been doing this for like five years now. <laughs> uh, we just missed the word balloon that said five years later. I'm almost there. Hi, to tie to tie. And we move to the next page where we, we really get a panel that tells us that we are truly in Europe because there's a man who's got a walking stick and a cloak and uh, a hat with like a feather in it. And he's standing on a rocky side saying, what is that sound? And he's, of course, near some free-roaming cows. Yeah, the cows give it away. This is what Europe looks like. <laughs> Why this man is on this little rocky uh, cliff thing, don't know, but he's there to say, oh, tis a mournful soul. How does the Banshee's powers work in this instance where he's he's using his ultrasonic probings to somehow reveal where... How does he figure out where Factor 3 is from this? How, how is this even possible? Well, so the last time we met the Banshee, we established that his powers were uh, like hype, supersonic screaming or hypersonic screaming, whatever you want to call it, which also allowed his body to vibrate out of view. So you couldn't see him. He was invisible while he was making this noise. And it also gave him the ability to fly. This time, he's using his sonic scream as a type of sonar. Okay, that works for me, but how does he figure out where Factor 3 is from that? Are you talking about the second panel or just in general? I'm just thinking in general. <laughs> he's scouring the landscape, searching for Factor 3. Now, what about his power is going to reveal Factor 3 to him? Well, Adam, he says it that he feels that he is near the secret sanctuary. He's just got a gut feeling. It's not a mutant power. Haven't you ever been in a situation and you're like, 
I don't like the looks of this. I better get out of here. And you never know what actually happens to that situation because you left, but you feel like it was the right thing to do. It's kind of like that with the Banshee. He's just like, you know what? I think Factor 3's here. His feeling has not been very useful to him because it says in the very first panel, uh, the, the, the splash page, for weeks I've searched the mountains and valleys of Central Europe. He's been doing this for weeks. <laughs> well... His senses are very good. Maybe it's a little bit of wishful thinking at this point. It's like, man, I'm tired. Okay, they're here. <laughs> now I'll start probing the land. Well, what an amazing coincidence. A doorway appears in a stony uh, side of the mountain. Well, see, he uses that. He says, my ultrasonic probing reveals that the mountain below uh, alone of all of the... What does he say? My ultrasonic probing reveal that the mountain below dash dash alone of all in the area that doesn't make any sense is hollow <laughs> all right so that's just bad writing so anyways there's it's that Irish. <laughs> i see alone of all in the area <laughs> it's just a little bit of gaelic interpretation in there he's hollow a tight <laughs> so what he's been doing is he's been using the sonar trick all across europe for the past couple of weeks and he's <laughs> looking for anything hollow <laughs> basically he doesn't know it's in a mountain <laughs> well you know he got lucky it's, he's Irish. He's luck of the Irish. <laughs> Hi, Titai. And it hasn't been weeks. He's just been drinking so much whiskey, he thinks it's been weeks. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so he, he does find some mysterious doorway that opens, and out from it comes a mechanical spider. Oh, I should note that his appearance is much less monkey-like. In, this, uh, in these panels, yes. Yes. Uh, actually, overall, you're right. His his, his uh, upper lip is getting a little bit smaller. Yeah, he's uh, he's very human once again. He's starting to become the banshee we know and love. Except he he has pointy ears still. Yeah, one oversight. Uh, well, you know. So yes, giant spider. I I consider it the second mutation. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so the banshee. Uh, he takes on this mechanical spider, but it's got like this crazy mechanical eye that shoots him. Looks like a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, kind of. And uh, he says he must protect himself with a hypersonic howl. So I don't know what that is. that like a basically a scream shield? Yeah, it's essentially a scream shield. Okay, so he's got scream flight, scream shield, and scream invisibility, and scream hollow mountain probing well he's not invisible because uh he says specter three must have spotted me well he didn't lose those powers did he he's just not using them maybe factory three has just got some sort of they they built a machine that allows them to spot banshee when he's all right i'm just saying that his list of powers is is growing just like all yeah. of the, all of the mutants in this era's powers keep growing except for the x-men's so he uh, protects himself with his scream shield and falls away from the spider robot and is able to catch himself and fly back to a chalet that he rented. Yeah, which he calls his base. But, uh... <laughs> like none of this is actually necessary in my opinion. Well, at least made it to the chalet. I rented. Yeah. Oh, that explains everything. <laughs> I must hurry inside. Then he goes to... Inside the chalet, he has a whole bunch of rented equipment, apparently. No. 
These advanced devices given to me by Professor Xavier will help me discover the stronghold of Factor 3. Oh, so they're not rented, they're, they're borrowed. So what I was trying to figure out, did they bring Banshee back to the mansion and be like, hey, this is who we are, pal. Take some gear. Well, I guess since they saved him from Factor 3, he may feel like he owes them, and so he's helping them find Factor 3. They mentioned at the end of that issue that Banshee's back in his native land of Scotland or Ireland or wherever they said he was from, but they never really said, and we brought him back to the mansion and revealed our identities and gave him some equipment, some very, very expensive equipment. So he's using this equipment, I guess. It it helped him locate the stronghold of Factor 3, which we saw. Maybe that's why he's flying around looking for the Factor 3. He's been lugging this uh, equipment around from location to location, and every time he gets there, it says, nope, no Factor 3 here. That could be. So he says that uh, I must warn... Uh, them about the spider my question though is why would he feel the need to warn the x-men about a spider that's in central europe because that was one deadly spider and he's really focused on it right now and he's like i need to tell you i gotta warn them about the spider the x-men are like oh again yeah i know there's bad whiskey at this bar yeah i know you got in a fight the other day you don't need to tell us about every little thing that happens here today Oh, but this spider, you've missed, you must need, you must hear about my spider. All right, Sean, settle down, buddy. All right, so we go back to uh, the X-Men's headquarters where Beast is once again working on Cerebro. Cyclops is digging through some paper files. Uh, Marvel Girl is typing, maybe, or filing. She's also going through some files. Okay, and Iceman. Now, it seems to me that Iceman would de-ice for this because wouldn't he just be, like, getting water all over these files? <laughs> <laughs> and the other guys would probably be kind of cold. I mean, yeah. you think that Iceman is a block of ice. He, he gives off some cold. Right. In order for him to maintain that frozen appearance, he has to be generating temperatures below 32 degrees. So anytime you're near him, you're just like, ah, oh, jeez. The artist did not feel like dry, drawing Bobby Drake. I guess not. Uh, so they are looking for clues in the files for where in Europe the enemy took the professor. I got to wonder why in the world would the X-Men expect these to be in the filing cabinet? Well, it doesn't say that they're actually looking in the filing cabinet for any particular reason. So <laughs> I suppose you're right. Jean kind of hints to it. She says, if only we had the slightest clue as to where in Europe our enemy has taken the professor. Maybe they're just arranging the files. <laughs> just, ah, you... The other thing that Factor 3 did besides kidnap the professor and destroy Cerebro was mix up the files. There's a list on the fridge. Item 1, uh, file tax documents from 1964. Item 2, find me! <laughs> Signed, <laughs> Professor X. All right, so they comment that uh, Angel is back from his uh, scouting mission or whatever he was doing. How did they know that the professor was taken to Central Europe? They honestly don't know that the professor was taken at all. They know that the professor is missing because they came back yeah. and he was gone. So they don't necessarily know that anybody took him. I mean, the professor could have just been like senile and just went for a walk or something. And he's 
actually out in the backwoods, <laughs> tired and cold, and just waiting for somebody to rescue him. The Juggernaut was going to steal an airplane and go to Central Europe, but did the X-Men know that that was what the Juggernaut was going to do? Mm. I don't think the Juggernaut ever let it slip. I don't think so either. I'm the Juggernaut, and I'm going to Central Europe whether you like it or not. We'll just have to pretend he said that. Yeah, yeah. They're like, where did that come from? It sounds like a fun vacation. Can we come? No. All right, follow, uh, follow me here. Okay. They think that Factor 3 has the professor. I can buy that. That's that's a good conclusion to leap towards, because everything that they've been dealing with lately has been Factor 3 related. And they know that Factor 3 is in Central Europe because of Banshee. Okay. Sure. Because he's out there searching Central Europe because presumably he knows that Factor 3 is somewhere there. Now, if I'm an elite underground evil organization and I capture a mutant and brainwash him to do my bidding, I don't do it at my base. (laughs) I might go across town and do it so that his last memory is like of some warehouse that has nothing to do with my location. So I'll buy your analogy if we're also able to uh, agree that Factor 3 isn't very good at what they're doing. No, they're pretty uh, unintelligent so far. (laughs) All right. Uh, So the angel gets back. He says, I didn't see anything. But they know that they should be looking in Central Europe. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know what... what, He's searching around the area for clues i guess i saw something he says it's nothing to write home about i spotted traces of a vehicle having landed nearby a saucer shaped vehicle so that would seem to me to be exactly what he's looking for yes a space saucer yeah because he's out there looking for some sign of factor three sure and he finds this saucer shaped thing so you think he would be you know, I can tell by your expression you couldn't find a thing, says Cyclops. You you uh, you would imagine that Angel would say, actually, I, I did find something. Yeah, because he says, oh, you should have been a fortune teller, inferring that, yep, you're right, found nothing, nothing to see, moving on. And yet, yeah. I did find one clue. Honey, did you buy bread at the grocery store? No, but you know, while I was at the grocery store, I bought some bread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, thanks, I guess. Uh, but then Marvel Girl goes on to say, but a craft like that leaves no tracks. Oh, I see. So there's nothing to follow is what she's saying. Okay. They say that must be the ship in which they fled with the professor while we battled the juggernaut. Again, drawing like random conclusions, but okay. Well, the professor's missing and they found flying saucer tracks. Or, I mean, uh, landing marks in their property. It's a good deduction only because, in all likelihood, in this crazy universe, it's true. Yeah, it's a good start anyways. It beats the nothing that they had before. (laughs) Yes, it does. So Iceman pops his head out and says, hey, we're getting a message from Banshee. And Angel says, the Banshee? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, no. No, no, the the other Banshee. (laughs) The other Banshee we fought a couple issues ago. Yeah, Cyclops says this could be what we're looking for. So we go back to Central Europe. They gave Banshee a machine that could send 
coded messages beamed directly to them. So obviously this is well before the advent of cellular and I bet you long distance was like, oh my gosh. Actually, why wouldn't they just give them like a phone number? <laughs> why do they need this complicated uh, machinery to beam messages back and forth? I don't know. And I also don't know why the coded message is calling X-Men, calling X-Men, emergency. That That's not much of a code. No. Huh. And it says, a message which is destined to affect the safety of the entire planet. And you're right. The message is literally calling X-Men, calling X-Men, emergency. It's code for, I'm calling the X-Men, there's an emergency. <laughs> See, they eliminated a few of the words. Aha. Uh-huh. That, that makes the uh, international rates cheaper. <laughs> Banshee's still trying to send his message, uh, and he's having a real hard time about it because apparently the spider ray weakened him. He's using Morse code. He, it's like a telegraph, but... He's tapping it out. <laughs> calling X-Men. Ca- calling... <laughs> Yeah, that's the coded message being directed or beamed directly to them. Look, telegraph has existed since like the 1800s. Why do we need to come up with fancy uh, things for when he's literally just tapping out telegraph messages? So, for whatever reason, this message needs to be secret. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so he falls unconscious, and uh, apparently he's tired. Yeah. Well, he got shot by the spider ray. And somebody in the corner says, oh, he's unconscious, good, then he will not fight. And then somebody else says, let us take him on board the Gravo disc and report to <laughs> the master. flying saucer-shaped object. <laughs> yes, the Gravo disc. Literally, they spent no time coming up with names. So they get into the Gravo disc, and two figures take Banshee away. We cut to uh, interior of Factor 3, I presume. Yeah, it doesn't really say, but we can make that assumption, I think. It's a large, it's a giant screen deep within a towering mountain. Apparently, uh, whoever this is has video cameras set all around all of the rentable chalets in uh, Central Europe, so that just in case Banshee rents one, they can videotape the launching of the Gravo Disc. That's all I can come up with. So let's look at this guy in the shadows here. He, he, um, he's he got headphones. He's got headphones. It looks like he's got Cyclops' goggles. Do you know who he reminds me of? And he looks like he's got Magneto's armbands. He reminds me of Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. Oh, yeah. Because you'd only <laughs> ever just see that right arm. Gadget! There should be a cat on his shoulder. <laughs> what was the cat's name? Oh, I can't remember what the cat's name was. But didn't he always punch the cat like, oh, Gadget got away. And he'd punch the cat or choke it. We need more cartoons with animal cruelty in them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, he's got goggles, he's got headphones, he's got armbands. I don't know, it kind of looks like he's either got shoulder pads or that's part of his cape, maybe. He looks like a cross between Magneto and Cyclops. It could be, based from the very little that we can see from the side of him. Cycleto. Magclops. 
Megalops. He's going to send some of his reconnaissance units to America to find out how much uh, the Banshee managed to tell the X-Men. And he wants to do that because if the X-Men ever learn the full nature of their plans, then Factor 3 must destroy the X-Men. Sound logic. So it turns out that the device that Banshee was tapping out was connected to a reel-to-reel in the mansion and was printing out ticker tape this whole time. Yeah. Apparently the ticker tape reads, Calling X-Men, Calling X-Men, Emergency, Beware the Spider. Yeah. In a world where hovering helicopters exist and gravodiscs exist and cerebros exist ticker tape that's this is how the communication is going to work this is that super secret coded message stuff this is the best way to keep a secret in this universe they have wrist watches that they can use to communicate with one another why wouldn't <laughs> they just give banshee one of those Be like hey if you ever need to get a hold of us you know what i'm gonna even build it into your headband so you can just think it and then the, the x-men will hear it in their wrist watches that's pretty secure how about that no they're using telegraphs and ticker tapes <laughs> So they're all, wow, spider, What what's that all about? All right, so we turn our attention now to a young, mysterious man driving his motorcycle in the country. It's Peter Parker. Well, it is, but they say, and precisely this point, we switch our scene to, nope, if you can't guess, frantic one, we're sure not going to tell you. In other words, it should be obvious to anybody that this is Spider-Man, because he was on the cover. If you read a lot of the letters columns or the Marvel bullpens that they have published in these issues, they keep referring to us, the reader, as the frantic one. (laughs) And I don't like that, because it really conjures up an image to me of some sugared-up kid sitting there reading a comic book and just bouncing up and down, frantically shivering. Well, it's it's like a kid who's reading the comic book who's so excited about what's going to happen next. I, I don't think he's on a sugar high. I just don't like the comic book referring to me as frantic one. <laughs> well, you're not the problem, probably the target audience. <laughs> okay, fine. You would have to be a 1967 young young man to be frantic. Everybody was frantic in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, just quivering about everywhere they went <laughs> frantically what will happen next oh my god <laughs> everybody's just doing everything frantically <laughs> uh, okay so anyways it is in fact peter parker and he's talking to himself and he's like huh it's weird i why am i here i just feel like for some mysterious reason i came here i've never been out here before how weird he's on a little motor scooter yeah i I wonder, is this, where do you get the money for this? Can't buy Aunt May some medicine, but he can buy himself a motorcycle. He borrowed it from Flash Thompson. Okay. The bottom left panel, it really looks like Peter Parker's rocking a gut there. (laughs) (laughs) Just something with the angle and how it's drawn. He looks like he's about 40 years old with a beer belly. and He stuffed a pillow under his jacket just in case he crashed. Uh, he finds a little stream and he wants to kind of just take it easy, maybe take a little nap. And 
There's a cool little abandoned mill that he can just chill out by. But it doesn't last long. Because a giant egg-shaped object obstructs his view of the sun. Or at least casts a shadow on him. Cast a big old shadow on him. And he uh, automatically assumes that it's after him. You know, because he's in the Marvel Universe and everybody's paranoid. Yeah, he's Spider-Man. Oh no, somebody guessed my identity! Dodges out of the way and jumps into the old mill and he, he actually acknowledges his paranoia. Parker, you're turning into a walking, talking persecution complex. It's probably not after me at all. What is it after? Roy Thomas does not write the same witty banter as Stan Lee does for Spider-Man. He tries. Still, I liked I liked the Spider-Man in this issue. It's okay, but it's not... <laughs> it's not, not being familiar with those Stan Lee issues, I suppose. So anyhow, uh, he changes just in luck. He... He put on his Spidey tights this morning, so he's able to change into his Spider-Man outfit and attack the silver orb. Or was it just dumb luck? Probably. Flying eggshell starts to open and another one of those vacuum cleaner spiders comes out. Immediately starts shooting at Spider-Man. I got a little confused here. Because he says, uh, and it's got some sort of electronic eye stuck on the steel tentacle. But why am I standing here admiring it when my spider sense tells me it's about to attack and I'm the only possible target? And then he, he leaps out of the way at the last minute. I kind of felt like, all right, there must be some other force at play. Because he also says earlier in the issue, like, I just, I don't know why I'm out here. I just, I feel like something's pulling me out here. It's his natural spider inclination sense. What, the spider sense or just coming out to here? Spider-Man has a uh, story sense. He's been in enough, (laughs) you know, battles that he's kind of... He just knows where he's needed. Yeah, he knows, like, that everything that happens to him kind of happens in a pattern of a story and he's getting kind of used to it. He, He thinks he's the golden child. He has... He has a god complex. All right. But it's going to happen to the X-Men a little later. I felt like, I'm feeling like everybody's being controlled by something else. Uh, Anyhow. Yes, they are. Roy Thomas. (laughs) So Spider-Man does jump out at the last minute, swings away. He, uh, He climbs up under the corner of the old mill and he thinks he's going to sneak up on the spider and check it out again. But the spider sneaks up behind him and blasts the corner that he's at. And uh, luckily he falls he falls in through a window. He's starting to lose his temper. He's going to take apart this robot and see what makes it tick. Yeah, because it keeps shooting at him and stuff and just kind of make him, making him look like a fool. There's just one little thing I wish. I wish I felt as confident as I sound. He's talking to himself at this this whole time. He has thought balloons occasionally when he's hiding. I mean, is this? I guess Spider Man talks to himself. That's one of his. He doesn't have a sidekick. Haven't you read those early Stan Lee Spider Mans? I mean, like the first thirty, all he does is just swing around talking and thinking to himself, and it rotates back and forth, and it doesn't seem to have much rhyme or reason. 
Well, here it does have a rhyme or reason because he's hiding from the spider when he thinks to himself. Oh, and so you would think that while he's hiding, he wouldn't necessarily be talking aloud. Right. Ah, okay. So we move back to the X-Mansion where um, Beast is still working on Cerebro, but it must be in good enough working condition because it blurts out an alarm stating that there is a mutant close by, which is weird because, not close by, stating that there is a mutant but it must be close by because it's only set to a close proximity. So they decide to check the exact location, and it turns out it's in Sector M2. Oh. Oh, M2. That's probably where Super Adaptoid was as well. (laughs) He was in Sector M4. (laughs) So Beast leaps to the only conclusion possible. Factor 3 must have sent a re- a reconnoiter. Cyclops, being the good leader man, says, don't be too sure. There's only one of them, Hank. We better go check it out. Uh, Gene, you stay here. <laughs> yeah, they need somebody to stay behind in case Banshee contacts up again. Personally, I would have left Iceman behind. Yeah. He's kind of useless. All he does is freeze things and they break out of it. Uh, or you could leave Angel behind. I mean, Marvel Girl, for the most part, can fly, and, and she can actually carry at least one other person with her. Yeah, Marvel Girl, she's like the talent of the team. You don't leave behind the best member of the team. I'm with you. The X-Men, the four X-Men, jump into the Rolls-Royce and drive to Sector M2. And while they're driving, the giant spider... Actually, before before we cut to that, um, they make a comment that we've been making. We'll have to hide the car when we arrive. After all, how many superheroes ride to the rescue in a Rolls Royce? So how come we're broke all the time? <laughs> I can't believe I almost passed up that opportunity to make that same uh, observation. <laughs> At least, so everybody's kind of realizing some things about themselves. They drive around in fancy vehicles and they're broke. Spider-Man's pretty paranoid. Yep. So good times. At least somebody's learning or maybe they're getting the same types of letters as the comments that we're making. Yeah, probably. So then uh, the giant spider is making bunches of different noises and shooting things and blasting away and, Spider-Man's hanging from the rafters, and he's swinging out of the way and getting shot at. Yeah, we get some pretty good action scenes where the uh, vacuum cleaner breaks into the wall, comes after Spider-Man. Spider-Man swings around, drops on him, and uses his superior spider strength to twist the tentacle to point at itself so that the blast shoots the robot. With a thwakoom! It's actually a pretty cool panel. Yeah. The explosion and everything was going outward from the robot. And, uh, yeah, he, 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 it's dead. It's, it's exploded. And actually that font that says the thwakoom font, that's a pretty cool font looking thing there. This whole page is pretty cool. Eh, it's all right. There's a lot Spider-Man's of... Spider-Man's doing his Spider-Man thing, dancing around. Makes you wonder, like, why are the spiders such a threat? And why was Banshee like, watch out for the spider? You know, I bet the X-Men couldn't have taken on this spider. <laughs> well, I I think I'm going to agree with you, as as we will soon see. But we're we're on page 10, and the issue should be over, wouldn't you think? 
the bad guy's been defeated. Well, the X-Men haven't shown up yet. I mean, clearly they're going to show up and see Spider-Man's there and then, you know, hey, Spider-Man, what's going on? They're going to thank him for his assistance and Spider-Man's going to be like, I don't know what that was, but as I blew it up, I saw a little manufactured by Factor 3, circa Central Europe on it. I don't know if that means anything to you, but doesn't mean anything to me. Well, I'm off to the bugle. And then the X-Men will hop in their jet and they'll fly out to Central Europe. Uh, Marvel Girl actually snuck along and she'll say, there's something neat about that boy. And Cyclops will make some comment under his breath of, maybe she doesn't love me after all. And then they'll discover and defeat Factor 3. Yeah, and it'll be over. All right, so that's the prediction. Let's see what actually happens. <laughs> so we move to the next page. Spider-Man, uh, he kind of got blown off the, the giant spider. Makes sense. He's kind of laying on the ground, a little disoriented. Yeah, it but, exploded and he's unconscious. But, you know, after a little while, he picks himself up and here come the X-Men. The X-Men come on down the road and they're like, hey, look, there's Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's like, huh, what the... The exploded spider's gone, and so is that egg-shaped thing. It's all gone. Huh. Oh, there's the X-Men. Hey, X-Men, what's going on? And then he comments the same comment that I made at the beginning of this, that uh, last time he saw the X-Men, they offered him a position as an X-Man. So, like, yeah, Spider-Man's like, oh, you want me to join again? That's cool. the X-Men say, attack! Well, sort of. First Cyclops says, keep back, all of you, till we know why he's here. Okay, that's a level. Sure. That's a level, uh, you know, leadership command. There was a mutant in the sector. Spider-Man's super powered. Let's see what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. And then Beast charges in. (laughs) Isn't it apparent, lad, that he's the spider of whom the Banshee warmed? Yeah, he's the smart one. Yeah. Uh, Angel goes in. Let's grab him. Iceman runs in. So Cyclops is completely ineffective as a leader at this point. He has lost control. And nothing is worse than when your troops have lost control of, or you've lost control of your troops. We get a page of uh, Angel going after Spider-Man, but Spider-Man's too fast. He webs up Angel's wings, yanks him to the ground, tossing him into a lake. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Angel just got schooled. Seriously. He just got served, yo. The next page, we get a a Beast versus Spider-Man battle where Spider-Man and Beast are the same, have the same agility, but Beast underestimates Spider-Man. Hey, and yours on the third panel, is Beast's underwear uh, colored in? Third panel. Nope. On all the panels, his underwear is yellow. Oh, okay. In mine, uh, he, his his underwear is white, which is kind they of must fun. have corrected it at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they take turns switching some banter back and forth uh, during the battle. The beast says, "Huh, maybe we were a little hasty." By but, we, I mean I. <laughs> but Spider Man then swings around and kicks him in the butt. To which Beast then says, nope, he's evil. I knew it. He was evil. He's evil. He's not just... Anybody who would kick me in the butt for attacking them yeah. must be evil. That was that was totally unprovoked. He's evil. <laughs> Come on, X-Men. We got to get him. Uh, yeah, so the angel gets out and he's like, wow, this webbing is really, really cool. 
No, he didn't say that. He says, this webbing is really scientifically advanced. It's hard to get out of my wings. And then he sees Beast flying, flailing about in the air, and he runs up to catch him. The Beast says, I didn't really need you to catch me. And Angel says, yeah, yeah, I guess you did. you're right. I just wanted to touch you. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, just, I just wanted to hold you. So there's a little wasted effort. Spider-Man is, is above. He's really making quick work of the X-Men, and he's like, what? They're acting like I'm the bad guy. I don't understand what's going on here. And that's when Iceman comes in. He's got an ice slide and a javelin, and he's heading towards Spider-Man. Like he's going to stab him in the back with his giant javelin. But In this panel, Spider-Man's hand is extremely complicated. It is. It actually kind of looks like uh, like a really bad drawing of muscle mass. <laughs> And one of the fingers goes deeply into the thumb. Or a poor rendering of uh, spaghetti. It's it's just a bad drawing of a hand. <laughs> it's like Mr. Goodbody's hand. Mm. I don't know if you remember <laughs> Mr. Goodbody. He had the suit that had the innards on the outside. No, I did, I'm not familiar with Mr. Goodbody at all. Oh, all right. Look him up. <laughs> okay. He was iconic. He was on like PBS or something. He was like, this is our bodies and this is how they work. Look, these are my guts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So His a, name was Mr. Goodbody? I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Goodbody. Oh. Anyways, it was that guy. That guy with the with the suit of organs on the outside. Yeah, I do remember that. So anyways, as uh, Iceman is heading towards him with the javelin, Spidey Sense kicks in and he swings out of the way or jumps out of the way or something. And Iceman... I don't know, he slides on by. Yeah, he just kind of dodges, but throws his whole body into it. Cyclops is thinking to himself, uh, you know, he, he he's stronger than any single X-Man, which, you know, goes for just about anybody. Yep. <laughs> Even circus and, uh, freaks. <laughs> yeah. He's betting that his optic blast would stop Spider-Man, but... He's got to try reasoning before him, reasoning with Spider-Man before he shoots him. So he's still, you know, he's still in the right at this point. Yeah. It's critical thinking. A little bit. You know, stop fighting and listen, he says to, to, to Spider-Man. Right. Well, but I mean, look, if you're a Spider-Man, you're kind of like, look, your, your goons just attacked me. Like, I don't trust anything you say right now. Yeah. I'm going to get close to you, and you're going to shoot me. Well, yeah, really. It's like, you tell your goons to stop fighting, and then I'll stop fighting. So on the next page, we switch back to a very bored Marvel girl who is now eating bonbons and watching soap operas. She's still sorting through the files. <laughs> yes, she is still sorting uh, through the files. Beast has built all these different machines that are in here. Yes, one of them is the inside of the TARDIS, as you can see there. <laughs> uh, and he, Marvel Girl, I guess, somewhere within the stacks of filing cards, it's kind of like a card catalog she's going through, she finds a note, a special note, here among the professor's files on Factor 3. Oh, so they've been going through the professor's files on Factor 3 this whole time. He's got a lot of files on Factor 3. That's not how I took it at all. I just took it at the fir the first time I read it. I, I thought that she had literally just found this on his desk and was like, "Oh, look, we missed this last time we looked at his desk." But now that I read it again, he found this among the files. So 
We've been hearing about Factor 3. The professor knows that the X-Men know about Factor 3. Why would he hide the file? I'm confused. I don't think he's... I don't think he's hidden it. I think he's... They're searching through hundreds and hundreds of paperwork. I mean, you know the professor. He's he's the most paranoid of the bunch, so he's got, like, mad scribbled notes all over the place, little drawings, and they have to they have to root through everything. He's got cocktail napkins filled with diagrams filed exactly. all over the place. So you're thinking that this is all, like, the Factor 3 filing section? Or yep. is this just, like, the F cabinet? This this is the Factor 3 cabinet. Oh, okay. The whole thing is dedicated to Factor 3. So he found a note here among the professor's files on Factor 3. He must have meant to tell us about it before he was captured. Huh. Yeah, she's she's assuming too much there. <laughs> Instead of the like the seven issues prior to him being captured where he could have been like, Team, I have an important note I need to share about this Factor 3 group with you. See, the the professor kind of realizes he's half crazy, so he doesn't share anything. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't want them to think I'm too nuts. They'll stop following me around. They'll start asking me for money or something. <laughs> 75 cents stipend. <laughs> so she then mentions to, she's talking aloud to herself. There's nobody in the room. But she says, according to it, oh, according to this note, the professor put a special crystal in the headband of the banshee. And it would enable us to contact him at any time by adjusting Cerebro to a different frequency. So why is that in the Factor 3 file? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> well, I guess Banshee was a former member of Factor 3, so... All right. Seems like you'd move that to the Banshee file, though, you know? Well, you know... That's why they're sorting through the files. They're very confusing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so anyways, uh, no telegraph here, no ticker tape. They, She turns Cerebro up, and she's now hijacking satellite bandwidth. Now, see, wait, this is a completely different method of contacting Banshee that makes a lot more sense than the whole ticker tape parade. <laughs> well, the ticker tape makes sense. I mean, that technology has been around forever. I mean, you can have, I mean, they had underwater lines and such that would take a telegraph and, and ticker tape it out. So it made sense. It's a little archaic and ancient. It's not as cool and futuristic as this. But I got to say, uh, this looks like Ziggy Stardust's satellite. I mean, it is literally a disco ball <laughs> yeah. with a little satellite dish on the bottom of it. And they're bouncing off Cerebro's signal to apparently uh, Banshee's headband. It's a communication satellite sent up months earlier by the U.S. government. Yeah. I think the professor could go to federal prison for using it for his own signals, don't you? It's predicting the disco era. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so it's now we get a shot of Banshee and his his headband is quivering. And look at there, he does have a he's kind of monkey looking here. Yeah, less less so than before, but he's still got those pointy ears. Yeah, they're very Spock like. He um. Presumably, Banshee would know that he has a crystal yeah. that could communicate with the X-Men with. So why didn't he try to use that when he was sending Morse code? It's a one-way communicator. Oh, okay. <laughs> the professor was literally like, don't call us, we'll call you. Hi, <laughs> uh, Titania, all right. 
<laughs> no, no, you can't call us. Seriously. <laughs> All right. Look, if you need to call us, use the telegraph. But that's yeah. really hard. I don't know Morse code. Look, you'll learn, son. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> All right, so uh, the Spider-Man is up on the rooftop, and he said, hey, why are you attacking me? This is ridiculous. The like, what's your connection with Factor 3? And Spider-Man says, I never heard of him. Is that some kind of new secret ingredient? And Angel gets ticked off. He's like, that tears it, psych. He shouldn't be making jokes. Let me take him. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cyclops, at least, is he's kind of thinking correctly. He's like, he may be telling the truth. But we can't take that chance. All right, it's, get him. He has no control over the other X-Men. Well, this is like... This is the worst example of leadership of Cyclops so far in this series. I want to point out that Beast has no eyeballs. <laughs> He's also very creepy looking. You know what? I think it's Marvel Girl that keeps the team together. Without Marvel Girl, there the boys are all just like, I don't need to listen to Cyclops. He's not our leader. They've all been hanging out with the professor too long. Like, everybody's an evil mutant. Evil mutants. Evil mutants. Marvel Girl comes along. She's like, guys, boys, boys, boys. Let's drink some cocoa and think about this for a minute. Cyclops is smart enough to say, you know, if we're going to take him, which apparently we're going to do, sigh, we're going to do it as a team. <laughs> yeah. Because he's stronger than all of us. So Beast says, on the next, thinks to himself the next page that I'm going to get him. But you know what? He doesn't really seem like an evil mutant or a mercenary. But still, Cerebro sent us here, so we must listen to the machine. <laughs> Oh, well, stop thinking, more punching, <laughs> basically what his last thought ba uh, balloon says. Uh, and then this is where also a little odd typo, I believe. Uh, Angel flies up and he says, admit it, friend, we've got you surrounded. Spider-Man says, as a matter of fact, they do. But when Spider-Man decides to split, it'll take more than five masked Oops. mutants <laughs> to stop him. Two Oops. things. The obvious, there are only four of them, and the Second one is Iceman does not wear a mask. So there's only three masked mutants. Well, I can forgive him for saying four masked mutants because he's, you know, it's like he's not going to say three masked mutant and an ice guy. Look, I'm working on a posthumous no prize here. <laughs> All right. So uh, maybe Marvel Girl like showed up real quick and then took off again. Yeah, he's like, oh, there's five of them now. All right, so she again, he's swinging around. Beast attacks him. He tries to go through the mill, but Beast is inside the mill. Well, I thought they were going to attack him as a team. Everything yeah, exactly. in here is like they're all attacking them one at a time as a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just do it uh, uh, one after another, much quicker this time. Yeah, exactly. A little bit quicker. So I mean, yeah, Spider-Man is basically just making a fool out of everybody here. Spider-Man handily takes care of Beast with his spider strength. He punches him in the back of the head. He literally donkey punches the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> Iceman freezes up his legs, but Spider-Man's swinging, so he just crashes it into the wall near Iceman, and Iceman has to run for cover. Oh! <laughs> says Iceman. Angel flies in because he's just going to apparently fly him to death or something. I don't know what he's going to do. He just wants a rematch. He's ticked off. Yeah. I'll show you. 
And then Ice or Cyclops says, I'm going to shoot you. I'm right behind you, so I'm going to shoot you. Stay back, Angel. And then he blasts, nearly killing Angel again. Again, yeah. Uh, and, and then hits the webbing. Which uh, Cyclops' blasts can cut through Spider-Man's webbing. That's that's an interesting factoid for us little Marvel geeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Spider-Man jumps out the window and lands in... Well, he doesn't... He's He was swinging and... He is actually lost control, and he's kind of being thrown out the window by his swing. Oh, he says, I can't grab anything to stop myself. And he ends up landing in the river. Yep, and so now they're ready to go get him and finish this once and for. But before he can complete his sentence, all of a sudden his communication watch starts buzzing. And a little bit of ticker tape comes sliding out the side of it. Oh, it's a message from Banshee. <laughs> oh, and he rolls up his glove to uh, reveal. There's there's a common theme with how the X-Men rolling up their gloves. Sure. I'm very glad about that. Iceman can't carry one. <laughs> <laughs> Iceman. They keep giving him one, but it keeps breaking every time he ices up. So it's a Marvel Girl contacting them, and they say, Marvel Girl says that... Uh, the, that Cerebro stopped recording the presence of an evil mutant just after the X-Men left. Well, now, how can that be? Spider-Man isn't the mutant. That's weird. Spider-Man is, this is, this is actually kind of comical. Spider-Man's now in the water. He's like, turn around. This is over. I'm going to beat you guys up. Come on, turn around when I'm talking, when I'm threatening you. <laughs> The X-Men are like, no, 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 it's not you. We're not actually after you. Sorry about that, by the way. So Cyclops and Beast seem to understand that they have made an error, but Iceman's like, huh, Webhead must be one of Factor 3's non-mutant baddies. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. <laughs> Don't trust him, Psych. He must be lying. Angel's like, you mean he's telling the truth he's still he's still distrustful and now i'd like to point out that angel does have pupils but they're very creepy looking mm, yeah <laughs> like somebody went out of the way they're like you know you missed the eyeballs in the last two pan or the last two pages maybe you should draw some, draw some this time they only draw the eyeballs in when there's enough room i don't know i think there's enough room in those last two panels like in the, for the whole rest of the page, Angel has no eyes. Beast tries to uh, look at Marvel Girl's eyes in the last panel. Those are really weird looking. Yeah. I'll tell you why that is. In some of the letters pages, I don't know if it's this issue or future issues, there's a lot of people that write in with uh, eyeball inconsistencies. So <laughs> apparently in the Marvel bullpen, they really went back to their artists and said, you need to draw eyeballs. So now they're just all over the place and it looks weird. Anyways, Beast tries to offer Spider-Man a hand. Spider-Man says, what? You guys crazy? You just tried to attack me. Spider-Man reveals about the eight-tentacled robot that uh, he fought earlier, and they're like, oh, that spider. Oh, sorry. And then uh, Cyclops <laughs> says, perhaps, but his story fills a lot of gaps, answering that a mutant-built robot could affect Cerebro just like an actual mutant. <laughs> so mm. any mutant that builds a robot, that robot will then trigger Cerebro because apparently there's mutant DNA all over it. 
Yeah, mutant dust. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's a pretty lame explanation, if you ask me. So they uh, they say goodbye to Spider-Man, and they get into their Rolls Royce. Spider-Man makes a little joke of it, saying, Ugh, superheroes in a Rolls Royce? What do I get? I'm Spider-Man. I'm going to get a cold. Some superheroes have all the luck. But that's pretty much the story of Spider-Man, isn't it? Yeah. Consistent Spider-Man story. Hurrah. So Marvel Girl's back at the mansion, and she's thinking to herself, I didn't want to tell the boys about locating the Banshee until I checked my reading in this atlas. But now that I have, there can be no turning back. Why is she withholding information from the X-Men? Um, Because she didn't want to communicate all that uh, through the communicator. She was just, she got lazy. Okay. Once the X-Men get back, though, she does show them, and she was able to track the location of the Banshee using... Apparently, there was also a tracker built into the headband. Well, not quite. As Cyclops says, you mean you know almost exactly where the Banshee is? Well, which is it? Almost or exactly? (laughs) It can't be both. All right, so yes, they know an approximate location of the Banshee. And they figure that wherever the Banshee is, there must be... The professor. Another drawn conclusion. There, but what? <laughs> uh, Marvel Girl points out that they're in the middle of a mountain range. There are no airfields for miles around, meaning they can't land an airplane. But maybe they could land an airplane with a helicopter attachment. <laughs> At least that's what I would think that you could do. But the inference here is that they don't know how they're going to get there because there's nowhere to land an airplane. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out how they get there next issue. But uh, <laughs> just the same, we've got to rescue the professor. Yep. Cyclops says to Marvel Girl, "Here we get a little bit of story." She says, I, "I'd feel better if you weren't along, but I haven't the right to order to. Or I haven't the right to order you to remain behind." Marvel Girl says, "Nor have I the right to stay while the professor." Perhaps the entire Earth is in deadly danger. But I'll never forget, my darling, she says this to herself, how you wanted to shield me, to harm, to protect me from harm. And I'll love you for it, no matter what. I'll always love you for it. Oh, it just warms my heart. And that's the end of the issue. We get a, we get a next-ish some people ride tramp steamers, others win TV quiz contests. But the superpowered X-Men get to Europe the hard way when they face the menace called Meccano. Bum, bum, bum. It's a new breed of Marvel magic, and it's all yours in X-Men number 36, you lucky mutant watcher, you. Ooh, I'm a mutant watcher. Yes. Mutant watcher. <laughs> I'm a mutant watcher. I like to look at mutants when they're doing naughty things in their bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mutant watcher. You don't get much of that in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose you're not. I suppose you're right. Except for the beast. The beast alone in his bedroom. Emphasizing about Iceman. <laughs> I'm guessing that next issue, Meccano must be part of this Factor 3 group. <laughs> I sure hope so, because they've built up some momentum. I uh, yeah yeah 
this has really kind of been the most arduous story arc ever. But this was a good diversion, I thought. I enjoyed the Spider-Man issue. I thought it was a little campy and corny. Uh, I think we missed a little bit of it. Uh, Spider-Man certainly says, like, well, again, it goes back to what I was saying, where it just felt like somebody else was directing their actions. And I thought within it, because Beast and I think, uh, well, Beast says, like, I think we're acting a little hasty, but but maybe not. We better just get the Spider-Man guy. Like, oh, and then I think Spider-Man said, I think I'm uh, subconsciously pulling my punches. And I think the X-Men are, too. Right, right. So all of that kind of built a story in my head of like Factor 3 or some evil mutant presence has subconsciously gathered these people together for a fight for some reason that's going to prove something and then they're going to resist and then they're going to find out who that is and then the X-Men and Spider-Man are going to team up and battle whoever that evil person is. But it wasn't that at all. They all just literally just jumped to conclusions and uh, didn't listen to the leader. Didn't, yeah. didn't do anything right. <laughs> Once again, the X Men lost lost a battle. Yeah, they didn't win. <laughs> Once again, Spider Man won on page ten. He destroyed the spider. And what what was the deal with the spider? Why was the spider so devastating? Why did Banshee feel the need to contact the X-Men about this dangerous mechanical spider? Um, because Banshee knows that the X-Men are pretty weak. <laughs> Especially when all you need to do is, you know, just give Spider-Man 40 bucks and, t- and let him loose on the thing. <laughs> Spider-Man's like, 40 clams? I'll take the job. Okay, so anyways, maybe maybe they'll defeat Meccano. Or maybe some other cameo will come in and defeat Meccano for them, and then the X-Men will... I think the X-Men have won about five battles so far. We should probably be keeping track. Yeah, we need a scoreboard. 34 issues, three battles. Anything, anything interesting in the uh, letter section? As a matter of fact, yes, there is a um, there is a letter from Mark Vanier, who would go on to become the writer along with Sergio Argones of Guru the Wanderer. Aha! Uh-huh. And he would also write episodes of Garfield and Friends and various other cartoons. I think he wrote the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh, get out of here! Yeah, I wonder if that show stands up to the test of time. I remember loving it as a kid, but I haven't seen it since. Is it on Netflix? Is it on Netflix? Yeah. I I got rid of Netflix. Oh, oops. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and uh, actually this was probably one of the only letters uh, I read because it is a a X-Men poem. Which is pretty funny because um, he is well known amongst Gru readers, of which I am one. I actually own every issue of Gru as the guy who writes the poem at the beginning of every issue of Gru. Oh, so he... So he's, uh, he's well known for being a poem writer. So he started his craft very early on, back in 1965, yeah. as a matter of fact. How about that? This is 67. 67, okay. It's a pretty good poem. Yeah, should we read it? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, get out your omnibuses and read the poem yourself. Or Google yeah, it. We don't read poems. <laughs> poems are for girls <laughs> and dudes who like dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like beast. Like beast. 
<laughs> Poems are for Beast and Iceman. Yeah. All right, well then. Uh, we do, however, read fan mail, and uh, we have a another letter. Oh. Um, which was rather confusing. But the, the first half of it isn't confusing. Who is it from? Uh, Henry, Henry Baker writes, Recovering for surgery and reading the Essential X-Men Volume 1. So, uh, first of all, hope you, uh, hope you recover well and hope everything works out okay. Second of all, go get yourself an omnibus. Stop reading that black and white stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, there's an uncanny X-Men omnibus. It's all in full color. And the problem with those essentials, look, I'm going to start nitpicking again. I have some of them. Essential X-Men Volume 1 is X-Men like 1 through 48 or something like that. Then they came out with Essential Classic X-Men Volume 2, which is the rest of those early issues. No, no, no. I take it back. I'm sorry. Essential Uncanny X-Men is X-Men 1 through 48. Then Essential Classic X-Men is X-Men 49 to the end of the first series. Then they came out with Essential X-Men, which is actually Uncanny X-Men, giant size through current time. And all of the various ones. Technically... Uh, they didn't get named Uncanny X Men for quite a while, and I don't think I don't I think only some of the latter issues of the Essential X Men Volume One um, featured the title Uncanny. If you want to get technical, Uncanny X Men was in 1982 with issue 142. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but still, they. So come- I don't think I don't think issue 142 starts until uh, Essential Volume Two. I could get out my essentials and look this up, but I'm not going to. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that Essential Uncanny X-Men number one contains all of the stories that are non-Uncanny X-Men. It's these issues that we've been reading. Oh. I'm just okay. nitpicking. So to finish his letter, he this is the part that confused uh, both of us. I decided to do the voices and in a lot tab stupor, thought it would, thought it was cool to record it. Thought you guys would be as good as any to share it with. This is part one. I will only send part two upon request. The line between Banshee and Mora McTaggart is is quite fuzzy. Huh. Um, I'm going to guess that the lot tab portion of that letter was probably in some sort of morphine drip induced <laughs> haze. I understand what he's trying to say, but it, it was very... Hard. So he recorded some audio and... Um, he did not remember to attach it to his email. Morphine. <laughs> yeah, more morphine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, we're we're quite a ways away from issue ninety six. So, it'll be interesting. Well, feel free to send us along your uh, audio and and uh, give it another try sending it to us, and yeah, we'll listen to it. Adam, I just thought of something, and I think it's kind of inspired from Henry's. Uh, uh, recording that he didn't actually send us so so first of all henry send us your recording we'd love to hear it uh but i think this another idea would be if our listeners would ever be so inclined to record their own couple of panels i think we could actually feature that on the show 
but it would only it would have to be like under a minute. Like if you can do a whole page in a minute, you can do the page, and it's got to be good. And you got to be like doing like the voices. So if it's like a conversation between Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Storm, you have to do. Hey, Bob. Ach, mein Fräulein, I want a beer. And then, oh, here's some rain. Or whatever the dialogue is. <laughs> and if you can pull all that together in under a minute and like have it be like some cohesive uh, piece of story, we will put that at the end of the episode and we'll say, you know, John Doe and Jane Doe recorded X. Totally awesome idea. And um, if you can get multiple people reading the lines in under a minute, we'll... we'll you know that'll be cool too. So Henry, I, since this is uh, this is stemming from you, I'd like you to take some of the stuff that you learn from recording voices from issue ninety six, or even just send us what you got. And maybe if it's if it, if it's really good, we like it, we'll 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 just slap it on the end of uh, one of our episodes. No, do you want to wait until we do issue ninety six? <laughs> nah, it can be from that any. Could be quite a while. Nah, it can be from any any era within the X Men. Okay, yeah, good idea. Anywhere you want to, and then uh, that's the audience participation portion of the show. All right, then. Uh, anything else? Contact us at Danger Room at redcatproductions.com or. On Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Danger Room Podcast. Or go to our website at www.redcatproductions.com slash Danger Room. And finally, you can check us out on Twitter, which you're not doing a whole lot, at Danger Room Go. Or, you forgot the most important one. You can write reviews and rate our podcast on iTunes, which helps people discover the show uh give us gives us higher ratings which makes us more available and you know exactly that, that kind of thing all right then uh until next time the danger room is closed spider-man spider-man does whatever a spider can spins a web any size Catches seeds just like guys look out here comes a spider-man is he strong listen bud he's got radioactive blood can he swing from a thread take a look overhead hey there there goes a spider-man in the chill of night at the scene of a crime like a streak of light he arrives just in time spider-man Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, welcome fame, he's ignored, action is his reward to him. Life is a great big hang-up, wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find a Spider-Man.